with Million Dollar Agent, Tom Panos, John McGrath and Troy Malcolm. How are you, Johnny? Good, Tommy. We're in an unusual spot today. We should tell our listeners, our audience. Yeah, well, let me start off and tell you that opposite me, I've got John McGrath, who's got makeup on at the moment. <laughs> now, um, contrary to what Troy's told us, believing that he's actually put her on to enhance um, John's looks over Troy Malcolm, I can tell you that that is not the case. In fact, what it is here is John is... Uh, part of uh, Shark Tank. Shark Tank. So John, this is exciting because I've never actually been on a live set and we just watched it. Um, give us a 60 second explanation of what John McGrath's been doing in the last three weeks. So a lot of the listeners might have heard of a show called Dragon's Den which is in the UK where five investors uh, have ideas pitched to them and they invest their, their own money, real money, into the ideas or they don't. Well that then went to America and they relabeled it Shark Tank and I think they made a few changes. Well, Shark Tank's now coming to Australia, and, and I've been very fortunate to be invited, or not fortunate to be invited, because we're one of the investors, we'll see. So next year, Channel 10's going to air this show, and um, because I guess we wanted to get a couple more of our sessions done this year before, and I'm filming till the uh, middle of December, you guys kindly agreed to come to Fox Studios, which is a pretty cool spot, and uh, just watched us film one of the episodes. And uh, so we're up and running. So, yeah, so Shark Tank. So keep an eye out for us next year. So I think it's going to be a really interesting show. I hope it is anyway. And uh, it's fun to be a part of it. It's the first time. I've been on the block, but this is, you know, probably a higher level of intensity from a, from a filming perspective. So uh, it's good. Okay. So, John, um, exciting stuff. Uh, do you think that this is step one of Hollywood, John? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've got a great face for podcasts. <laughs> Is all I'll say. <laughs> Even with lots of makeup on, I don't quite come close to Troy, uh, Troy Malcolm's uh, movie star looks, so I'm going to stay at this. But I'm just following you up. Remember, we talked about getting sponsors. What yeah. have you done? Um, John. That uh, says it all. Not that's Troy. That's <laughs> <laughs> you know, in life, you hear sometimes it's you know, the pause between the words that says it all. Yeah. So basically, we're still penniless. We're about to finish the year in the next couple of weeks. We better work hard over Christmas to find a sponsor for next year. I think we've just accepted we're broke. <laughs> we got a we got a podcast with no profits, no income, no assets. <laughs> okay, oh Johnny, uh, we're going to do Q and A's because uh, last time we didn't get through them all, and there's some really good quality questions. In fact, we both agree that this has been one of our favourite bits of uh, the podcast throughout the year because we're actually coming up with not trainer speak, we're coming up with agent speak. We're going through the stuff that are going through agents' minds every day of the week. And I've got one actually is a one of my training coaching clients is a great operator, Nicholas Heaton from CBRE. Oh, yeah, he's great operator. Great guy. John, he's asked a quality question because um, he's got what would you do or did you focus to go from writing early one million to go to the two to three million range. So we got listeners at various levels, John. So we got obviously people in the beginners, and this guy here is wants to move to that elite level. So let's talk about what are the things a million dollar person is thinking about to go to two plus. I think, well, I think Tom, you can actually juxtapose whatever numbers you want in there because you could be sitting there at two fifty saying, "What do I have to do to go to six hundred? So Nick obviously just happens to be, by the sounds of it, cracked into the seven figures, and he's wanting to know how do I two or three x from there. And I think it's a good question. So. The first thing for me, it's always about you've got to get your mindset to that next level first. Because a lot of people get to a glass ceiling, half a million, a quarter of a million, a million dollars. 
And then all of a sudden this voice kicks in like, oh, yeah, I can't 2X, I don't have time to 2X, and, and all of So I think the first thing is you've got to listen to the noise in your mind that, that is preventing you from going to that next level because fast growth is natural, it's healthy, it works for everyone. So there's no reason why if you've gone from half a million to a million, you can't go to two million, then to three. And you know, there's so many examples in Australia and New Zealand and around the world of people that have done that. And, and we talk about Vivian Yap, who's been in the industry for a few short years, and I think Vivian's on track to do around $4 million or thereabouts from a non-real estate background. So, I mean, that just says it all, that anything is possible yeah. and beyond that. And I know Vivian is also planning to grow her business substantially from here. So the first thing I think you've got to do is get out of your own way. Yeah. Work out what it is within your own mindset, within your own dialogue, that's, that's not working for you. Then I think you've got to take that same concept but get a bit more practical. So what is it within your structure? So a lot of people are saying, well, John, you know, I think I'm pretty organised. I am working you know, 60 hours a week, 70 hours a week to get to the million-dollar mark. I haven't got any more, and I'm sure I'm not wasting much time. Well, there's still probably time improvements available, but I think you've got to say, okay, what is the structure I'm going to need? So that could be a team. And, Tom, you know, most of the people I know that you interview and you coach and train have, have started a team. So there's not too many two or $3 million earners that are you know, riding solo at the moment. So I think you've got to accept that there's a new set of skills called recruit a great person to work with me and uh, then lead them and help them, or have them help me go to 2 or $3 million. It's not going to happen on your own. So, you, by the way, you can get from 250 to 500, but there comes a point, and I think, you know, sort of probably 750 to a million in terms of annual GCI is a point where you're going to absolutely need a, an assistant if you haven't already got one by then. And, and, John, on that issue, you do have to be a good manager of an assistant, too. You can't, like, there is this concept that I'm writing three or 400,000, okay, I'm just going to put on an assistant and they're going to solve everything. There's that another skill set. When you're running an effective business unit or a pod or whatever term you want to use, you do have to actually do more than just talk to buyers and sellers. You've actually got to manage that person, don't you, John? Yeah, no, no. You, you definitely you need to bring on new leadership skills. And most agents have not been owners of businesses. They may not have even been managers of businesses. They were probably salespeople. Uh, and they grew to be a better salesperson. So you do need to take on some new skills. That's really important. Um, one of the other problems, Tom, I see some people make the opposite um, mistake, which is they bring on too many assistants too quickly. I've seen people that have got three or 400,000 GCI and two assistants, yeah. and they, they're actually spending more time trying to manage their assistants than grow their business. So there are two sides of that coin you need to be careful of. But so I think you've got to get your mental state right, and, you know, and, and, and Nick, I know, is one of the really great performers in the um, inner Sydney uh, residential work for CBRE, right? Yeah. Uh, and a great guy too. We, you know, we're doing some business together at the moment. So, you know, I know Nick's right up to it and it's great that someone at his level and above is really really looking for that next next answer. What's the next, you know, thing, that little piece of advice that can help him going. So, I think, you know, make sure you're structured right. Um, make sure you get out of, the, out of your own way. Um, you know, there are, you know, there's no doubt there'll be improvements to prospect, list, sell. I mean, they're the only three things we do, prospect, list, sell. So again, you know, review your prospecting plan, um, review your listing strategy and, and your listing approach, and then make sure that you've got a strong sales and marketing platform. So I think keep it simple, go to the next level, and get out of your own way. Okay. Next question, John. Um, if you are successful with a strong individual brand and track record, but coming to the end of your franchise agreement, mm. 
should you go independent or join another franchise and um, how would joining one franchise be different over any other brand? So this is an interesting one because you're a franchisor, you've got a franchisor hat on as well. So this is someone who's in a franchise. Who's in a franchise and they're saying it's coming to an end and they're they're saying, yeah, and they're, um, uh, and they've, you know, chosen to stay anonymous, which I could understand. Of course. Um, So, yeah, so John, is franchising, firstly, is franchising for everyone and what would you say to someone no, look, I think there's a whole variety of ways you can have a successful business. And I think right now I look at some of the most successful businesses around Australia. You've got um, people like Phil Harris and Owens and Cassley in Adelaide. You've got people like Marshall White, Jealous Craig, who are actually now going down the expansion phase, but they've built their success as pretty well boutique independents. In Sydney, you've got Cobden Hayson, you've got people like um, Bressick Whitney and so forth. There's, there's a whole range. And then you've got other companies, you know, from the huge, Ray White and LJ Hooker, to sort of more boutiques, sort of our size, and maybe people like Place. Yeah. So I, I think you've just got to look at all the different options. I think you've got to ask yourself, is the current brand that I'm in growing? Is it innovating? Is it exciting? Do I think it's providing me with a compelling future? Now, if it is, there's no real reason to, to move. Because why would you move? You've probably spent the last five or ten years building that brand in your community. And if it's really serving you well and if it's growing and innovating, well, that's the answer to your question. I mean, I guess that the interesting question, oh, well, okay, no, I don't think it is for whatever reason. It's not fulfilling me anymore. I don't think it's keeping up to date. Then I guess you've really got to make the decision. You probably will be switching to someone. Do you switch to another franchise business or do you go independent? I think for, for certain people, independent is fantastic. If you're highly entrepreneurial um, and highly independent in spirit um, and highly organised, and you know that the ability to get that creativity bit and the process all right is, is realistically, there's not that many people do it, and some of the people I've just mentioned certainly have done it particularly well. Um, but if you if you like to be a part of a community and you like to have the systems in place and a whole other range of things, you know, I think a really good quality franchise brand, and there's a number in Australia. Uh, all of you know the, all that we've mentioned. They've all got some fantastic uh, attributes. I think it's a good way to go, but you've got to be honest with yourself because I do see people going down that independent route that are probably not cut out for that either. Mm. They don't have a strong sense of marketing and brand and organisation, and they probably do need the framework or the infrastructure of a group that really allows them to just do what they do best, which is probably selling real estate. So, you know, there's, there is no doubt, there's no point being in a brand of any description that's not, not growing and is not innovating, is not keeping up with the current rapidly changing world of real estate. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think there is one solution or one size fits all for anyone. I mean, I think every brand is going to be a little bit different. Some brands have got a bit more pizzazz and energy. Some have got a bit more stability um, and longevity, if that's what you think in your style and your community works, you might have to go with that. So, Okay. Well, that's what I like about you, John. You didn't go off and uh, turn around and did a big sales promotion and say, this is the only way we go. And I think that's one of the things that people like about the podcast. I think yeah, what you're getting is real answers and ones that don't uh, have an agenda behind. I want to ask you this question. This one's a, this, I like this question that's come in because this one's from a lot of our... And we've got a lot of young people in their first three years of real estate, because yeah. a lot of those are hungry. They're it's the exciting, ones that are isn't exciting, it? yeah, and they're pumped and they try and absorb everything that's out there. It says, as I'm preparing some scripts and dialogues for listing presentations, one question I thought of that could be difficult to handle for a new recruit is, 
by the vendor. I haven't seen your name around much. How long have you been selling houses? And show me some examples of some of the good results. So I think this classic question is, you don't have a track record. Why should I go with you? Great question. It's a great question, and it's a great question to be asked. It's not just a great question from from our listener, but I think... If I was that person, I would get excited by the ability to tell my story. In fact, I'd take it front on. I'd be saying to them, you know, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Panos, one of the things I'd like to talk to you about is a little bit about my background because I'm very fortunate that I've actually been in real estate not that long. This is a really exciting new industry for me and and I love every day of it and my background has been in the world of finance. So I'd like to tell you a bit about the skills that I bring into the the new world of real estate for me. I'd like to tell you about my fresh approach as to how I'm, I'm dealing with customers, how I'm using technology to leverage what we do and so forth. So I think, you know, it's, it's a little bit like, Tom, the same question or a similar question, which is um, you don't have an office in the area, I haven't heard much about your company, you're sort of new kids in town. You know, I think that just gives people an amazing opportunity to open up a discussion and sell themselves. If you work for one of the bigger brands and, and you're well known in the community, it's, hard to, it's harder, put it that way, to tell the story. Whereas when you're less known and perhaps a new person in the world of real estate, that's a great reason to tell your story. And, and at ARIC last year, Troy, you remember Jordan Belford, who gave a great, I thought, a great presentation, or two, two actually. Mm-hmm. He talked about three things you need to be able to do. One of them was sell yourself. One of them was sell your company. And the third one was about your product or service. So, and he talked at great length about, you know, not many people go into, can I tell you a little bit about my values? Because if you and I are going to work very closely together and I'm going to handle your most valuable asset, I think you need to know what I'm all about. And he went into that detail. Now, not many agents, they, you know, they talk about, well, I'm the best and I've got the record in this suburb and kind of stuff that's a bit superficial and a bit of fairy floss. I would love if someone sat down and said, I'd really like to talk to you about, you know, what are some of my life values? Mm. Could I explain how I work as a businessman or business person? I think that's really significant. So I don't think being new to the industry is actually uh, at all a disadvantage. In fact, I think you could mount a very good argument, Troy, that it's an advantage because a lot of people, dinosaurs like me and Tom, that have been in the business 20 or 30 years, we've got to reinvent ourselves all the time because the industry's changed so much in the last five years, it's incredible. Whereas someone fresh coming in actually didn't know what it was like to do real estate 10 or 20 years ago. So I, I don't think it's a disadvantage, whoever that... I mean, it is a great question, but I think it's a, there's a great answer to go with that. Yeah, well, I'll, look, the first thing I'll say is on that issue, um, John, I think people call for an agent to come out and look at their home, or they'll call three agents out, but I think they're really looking for a good human being to show up. Now, yeah. that good human being might be in real estate for 20 years, or that good human being might be in real estate for three months. And one of the advantages of this listener has being a new person is that I think that... He's, he's not looking at that kitchen as if it's the 10,000th kitchen he's seen in his life. Yes. He's not thinking that vendor has got their own scripts and dialogues because after a while, experienced agents can sometimes become a bit cynical yeah. and they just hear the same thing coming out of a vendor's mouth. Yeah. Um, whereas we've seen young people, we're not talking about a 20-year corporate career, we're not talking about a seven-year postgraduate university program, we're talking about young people learning the basics doing amazing biomanagement work, creating fans in one or two years, and they're actually competing and making incomes that are not too dissimilar to what some of the experienced agents are doing. Or, we or, see be, or better. Or better. Oh, look, I agree. So I think, 
there is a great opportunity to tell your story. Um, it's a bit like when you change to a new company, there's a great opportunity to tell the story on why you change and why you chose that company. When I was a tiny real estate company, I had to tell people the benefit of being a small real estate company. Now we're a bigger firm, I need to talk about the, the benefits of scale and leverage and, and a whole range of things that we now offer at our size. But And they're all real. I mean, there are benefits of being small and there are benefits of being a larger agent as well. And I think there are benefits of having 10 years experience and I think there are benefits of coming in fresh with a whole new approach to real estate marketing and sales. So you really just got to sell what you have to sell and but just make sure you know what it is. Okay, John, we're going to leave it at that. You're on a break during the set here on Fish Tank, so thank you. <laughs> Shark Tank. Shark Tank. Fish Tank. Fish Tank. Oh my God. Oh, I was Shark Tank. How do I say that? Okay, I let's love just it. let's. We're not even going to edit this, Troy. We'll just no. just let's go back. John, you're on a break here from Shark Tank. <laughs> and and uh, thanks. And we're going to get back into the fish tank. So <laughs> I'll uh, look forward. But we'll talk one more time before the year's out. So I look forward to seeing you guys next week. Until next time. Have a great week.